Welcome to Living Goddess with Shamali God Arda. Listen in for goddess mythology, wisdom teachings, and intimate sharings from her daily practice and contemplations. Shamali illuminates the Shakti keys stitched into the fabric of our daily lives and inspires us to reclaim a pulsating intimacy with Source and revive our spiritual lineage rooted in the Living Goddess. Welcome back to Living Goddess Podcast. I'm your host, Shamali. Before we dive into today's episode, I want to take a little moment here to thank you for this warm welcome of this podcast. And uh, a special thank you to those of you who have taken the time to review this podcast, giving it five stars, who have followed uh, the podcast and uh, also shared it with your friends. It means a lot. I don't take it for granted. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. These past weeks have been a time of intense prayers. I've been lighting a candle in front of Durgama every morning. Durga is this great warrior goddess from India who is mirroring to us uh, a power and clarity how we can bring in the healing medicine of peace into the density of division and warfare. I've been praying for the people of Palestine and of Israel who are experiencing so intense horror right now. And I've been praying for all the people who feel called to contribute and have been witnessing how even those who want change, who want peace and justice, so easily can be pulled into the same consciousness that creates war, physical war, in clashing opinions and kind of position uh, taking that uh, makes us forget our common source and uh, our common humanity. I have been calling my ancestors from the north, powerful priestesses from all over the world. And I feel firmly seated in my seat. Really, uh, been, I have been exploring how I can best contribute. And I am donating money to organizations that are working on the ground. And I am choosing to stay out of the whole social media spectacle right now as I see it as an energy where no one is winning. Social media is a wonderful tool for those who are called to organize which is a a big movement right now. It is a powerful tool for people on the ground to know that they are not suffering alone, that the world is watching. And what we are seeing now, and, you know, we also saw throughout the pandemic, it it is also a tool of division where these little words on the screen get thrown back and forth and we forget that we are living breeding animal bodies experiencing all this information uh, about situations that are often far away from us so it takes a diligence to live in this time to uh, 
take responsibility for our nervous system responses. And for those who are of descent, of descendants of people who have experienced war, which is many of us, there are ancestral nervous system mechanisms that are activated right now. And it's a lot to hold. There's a, it's a lot to be present with. And many would argue that this is not the time to focus on yourself, that you should focus on these people who are in the war and are experiencing so much worse than you are. But I feel it is important to remind us that if we don't take care of our own nervous system, we will act out of the least conscious parts of ourselves and we will recreate these traumatic patterns in smaller or big ways. So don't let anyone tell you that you are selfish if you take care of your own body. It is essential that you do. You may feel a lot of a pull in one direction or the other or in many directions at the same time. Many situations like this makes us so confused that we end up paralyzed and we don't contribute at all. Or we just end up using our time discuss discussing words on the internet. So it takes a certain kind of leadership in this moment to take leadership of wh who you are, what is your ancestral story, what is your uh, limitations and strengths, and what is your skills? There is no right way to contribute and be part of the change. If there was a right way, we would not be in this situation that we are today. The goddess tells us that she is a web and that each one of us have a thread in this web and that it is essential that each one of us come into alignment with our unique thread in the tapestry. So that's going to look differently for each one of us. For me, as I'm sitting in my seat, I have spent my entire adult life training and cultivating skills of how to navigate in the unseen world and to bring the wisdom of source into embodied form. I have practiced and cultivated and developed the power of prayers and inner work. So when I call upon my ancestors from the north, I'm sitting in circle with, with these uh, beings that are no longer in the physical form, but that are informing me and guiding me. I know how to call upon an immense power from uh, the energetic realms. And that is mostly invisible work. So many would argue that that is not useful at this time. And here comes this kind of invitation and challenge of Durgama, where we are called to take leadership for what it is that we are here to guard. So for me, I'm so clear about my seat, but it's so intimate 
that my the majority of my work is happening within within an intimacy between me and the universe this intimate thread of me and my role in the bigger tapestry so even though i do work here on the podcast i you know are teaching the facilitated training right now i'm doing uh, holding retreats and doing this kind of visible work that is just the tip of the iceberg of the work that i am here to do and that i'm doing every day so it is easy at this point to to value the voices that are shouting the loudest as if that is most effective but remember that we need everyone in our seat and together we create the powerful tapestry that we need like i said if there was one right way we would not be in this situation today and nobody wins if we uh, swirl around in confusion and try to please all the different voices right now and this is not to say that that the inner work is more important of course not we need people organizing we need people on the streets we need people uh influencing the politicians that are making the decisions we, we need everyone in their seat everyone to follow the to take leadership of what it is we are here to contribute and durgama she mirrors to us that this kind of leadership we will see when we dive into the story how she arrives into a battlefield into a warfare and she's able to to ride in with a, a power that unites instead of uh fueling further division The story about Durga begins with this is just one of the stories of how she came into the world but this story begins with uh, some asuras uh asuras are in the hindu mythology uh kind of uh, one can translate them into demons but they are not intrinsically evil like uh um one would define demons in the western uh, terminology the asuras they are one can say coagulated energy that creates destruction so they are part of our consciousness they are part of the world but they are parts that we don't want to dominate yeah so they create hatred conflict friction division and they are embodiments of the maha the great illusion that we are separate from each other earth and the world so much of our actions in the world arises out of this misunderstanding that we are separate from each other the asuras in this part of the story are doing tapas and they've been doing tapas for 25000 years and tapas is a kind of a spiritual heat it is a effort they put energy towards what they want they want something and then they put tapas into it effort into it and once they have done tapas for 25000 years they go to brahma which is the creator and they say hey now it's time for our reward and brahma 
he asks them what you want. And they want immortality. <laughs> and Brahma says, no, <laughs> everything that is born will die. I cannot give you that. Okay, then. Then we want uh, the superpower uh, that we can only be killed by a woman or a female de deity. And, you know, they think they're smart. That's their view on the feminine. Because then they think that if they only can be killed by a woman or a female deity, they will be safe. Kind of the same as immortality, they think. And here comes the key. Brahma, the creator, the universe, the source, gives it to them. He blesses them with a superpower that they can only be killed by a woman or female deity. Why is this a key? As spiritual women, uh, we, we can end up in a little bit of a make-believe situation where we think that if I'm only a nice girl, if I'm only a good spiritual practitioner, the universe will reward me. But here we see that the universe rewards energy. Energy rewards energy. It responds to energy. And we see here that the, the asuras, they ha do not only have a wish, they have tapped into the power of desire. They desire power and they put their energy and effort behind that desire. And the universe responds. And there's a, this is a key for us women who have a clear vision of peace. How would it be if we were putting all our desire behind that vision? What would happen if women all over the world were in touch with our desire first, most, and then willing to stand in the fire of that and put all our effort and energy towards that desire? I don't think it's a coincidence that we live in, uh, in the modern culture where there is a there's like a whole system created to, to keep women away from their desire. It's like the, all these definition of what feminine is, what a good woman is. You know, we are nice, generous. Um, and, and on top of that comes spiritual dogmas that tells us that desire will, will uh, entrap us. The flesh will lead us astray. And, uh, you know, then we kind of, we want peace, but we also think that we shouldn't want too much. And then we should be okay with things as they are. And things become a little wishy-washy. Because desire is a strong energy. It's a fire. And many of us have been burnt. We have been burnt by desire. Either by just being disappointed of not having the kind of, receiving or achieving the object of a desire. We have perhaps felt the pain of obsession, of addiction, all of these ways that this uh, very powerful energy can, can take form. So we stay away from it. It feels uh, easier to be a little bit lukewarm. But here, when we see the Asuras, we see that they are not afraid of wanting what they want. And we see that all over in the world. When you see all these guys in power, it didn't happen overnight. It happened because they wanted it. And they wanted it so much that they put all their effort into it. And the universe gives it to them. So when are we going to want what we want? and to, to, to step into the fire of desire. The thing is with desire is that if we don't want to own our desire, it doesn't go away. 
it's like it is as if we are outsourcing our desire when we are not willing to hold our desire there's this whole consumer machinery that is more than willing to take your desire and give it back to you to tell back to you what you want just buy this buy this you want this you want this everything is outside yourself and the more you chase it the further further away you are from the source within you where everything you desire is So the Asuras, they get the superpower and they roam around in the world, building armies, conquering more and more territory in all dimensions. It is said that they kick the gods out of the heavens. And in this uh, context, the gods, they, they represent the more benevolent aspects of consciousness, peace, clarity, compassion, love, unity. And uh, they are losing. They are losing the war. They end up wandering around on earth in, in rags. People are laughing at them, mocking them, hoo-hoo, <laughs> forgetting their names and their songs. Ha! spirituality is not you know that's like just woo woo that's not important in times like this we have to fight it's uh self-indulgent to be thinking about the divine and the gods get more and more hopeless until they gather together up in the mountains and they they call upon a saint and ask him what they should do. We are losing the war. And remember, when we are telling this story, that it's easy to recognize this war outside ourselves right now, but this is also happening within, within ourselves and within our communities. But bringing it all the way into yourself, you can see that there is that battle between aspects of yourself. And um, when we see in our communities and out in the global situation, we see how the asuras, this kind of coagulated energy, is winning. At the heart of God, the goddess path, we learn that the goddess is totality. She is that great web. So there is nothing outside of her. So the asuras are not other than her. So that's why I use the word coagulated energy or energy frozen, um, frozen pain, frozen resisted aspects of ourselves. Is these kind of grooves that are carved out from our belief systems that are passed on from generation to generation. And then energy just goes into those grooves and recreate harm over and over again inside ourselves and outside ourselves same so the asuras are are winning the war and the saint is looking at the gods so hope, hopeless so gray so forgotten so defeated and he says hey hey Don't you remember that the great goddess told us that if you ever experience this kind of situation, you have to call me? Don't you remember? Have you forgotten the goddess? And the gods, they look at each other and, and they start to, to vaguely remember 
the goddess, the divine feminine. Oh, the goddess. She said we should call her and she would come. And they start to clumsily sing her name. Rusty mispronunciation, don't fully remember. But slowly, slowly, their hearts come alive. and There's light shining in their eyes again. And they remember the songs and the prayers and the holy names of the goddess. And they sing and chant and pray. And their hearts are so filled with longing. And longing is one of those, is another one of those very strong desires, strong energies like desire. Longing is that ache, that bittersweet uh, energy in the heart. And again, it's so easy to just put a lukewarmness on top of it, a cynicism, a kind of, nah, it's okay if it happens, it's okay if it's not. Because we are hesitant to step into the fire of longing but longing is such a is one of the the great gates into goddess herself and could it be that longing the longing in the hearts of the gods the longing in the hearts of you and me the longing for the divine feminine the longing that so many people are, are feeling in their hearts today. It's unprecedented. Millions and millions of people are having this sense of, ah, oh, they turn towards the goddess. Even in cultures that have no context of goddess, they have forgotten the goddess completely. Yeah, in India, the goddess, she has been kept alive through all the ages but in many other places in the world there are people millions of people feeling her longing for her and could it be that that longing is the goddess herself arriving could it be that she is pressing herself through into the world again in a massive form. So of course of course, she cannot be squeezed into a tiny little human. But perhaps it is the, the field between all these millions of people feeling called to come closer to her that she is arising through us all. And that what, it, what is asked of us is not to be perfect channeler of goddess with the right outfit and the right language and the beautiful pictures and tools but to simply be willing to stand here on the ed at the edge of evolution with shaky legs and uh, dry mouth and not knowing how it's going to look like and knowing that the not knowing is the most important because to turn towards dogmas and fixed ideas is to just recreate what we already have so for something new rooted in the timeless ancient wisdom to be birthed into the world today it requires this willingness to stay with the unknown to tolerate the, the unresolved to tolerate the imperfect but to stay and say, yes, yes, I'm willing. I don't know how, but I am here. I'm willing to listen. I'm willing to not immediately reach for concepts and ideas and methods and all the, all the structures that has already been created. But to stay here and listen 
and to trust that the way she moves through each one of us is is part of a bigger tapestry. It doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to look a certain way. And could it be that to remember and follow and stay present in this longing is one of the most important things to do in the world today? Yeah, Even if the whole world would mock you, turn their back at you, and say that, oh, you're... That's just woo-woo, ha-ha-ha. This, you have to join the fight. That's what's most valuable. Would you take leadership for what is true in your heart? And maybe that is what is required at this point in time. Could it be that she is pressing herself through us, birthing a new consciousness into this world just through anyone who is willing to stay in the imperfection, in the rawness and the isness of this moment? Do not check out and numb out and not just entangle ourselves in a drama. But to take leadership for our seat. This is what the gods were doing. So they were calling and calling and singing and praying. Night and day, nights and day, nights and days. And then all of a sudden, the mountains started to tremble. And the rivers were roaring. And all the birds were singing. And they heard a laughter. <laughs> that was echoing <laughs> through the, all the universes. At the goddess, she arrived. She arrived with such a joy. I am here. And she came riding in on this massive feline tiger lion animal hot furry power between her legs her heart was wide open blasting a love that the world had never felt it is said that she's radiating like a thousand suns her solar plexus is, is wide open because here comes an embodiment of someone in full integrity with her assignment, with her seat, with why she is here. Here comes an embodiment of someone firmly rooted in love who is not willing to compromise an inch. And she enters the battlefield. And she comes in so deeply rooted in what she loves. So she comes in with a vision. And of course she's entering a battle that is already taking place. So of course there are voices saying, oh, you should focus on this, you should do this. Who do you think you are? Yeah, remember that these, these voices are within ourselves too. Like, oh, you should do this, you should do that. Oh, this is not important. Oh, love, love is a wishy-washy. Not that become love is not what's needed now. We need to fight. Uh, and she is just firmly rooted in her vision. And she just chops off <laughs> all the demons that come at her. So she doesn't check out or try to kind of 
uh, or kind of spiritualize the war away, she also doesn't go in and play the game that is already created. She comes in I, with a new game. I create the game here. She came in, come in mirroring to us a, a power and a clarity and a power that does not overpower others, but that are seducing and inviting all of us to come back to our seat, to come back to our true power. Her integrity with her assignment also shows us this kind of translucency that happens when we have nothing to hide. You know, a lot of us are dimming our power because we feel ashamed. And shame is, a, you know, is, a, is one of the asuras qualities that we need to uh, somehow deal with. We will see when she entered the battle that sometimes the asuras... Uh, needs to just be cut away. Yeah, if there are voices coming in in your head that are not even yours, boundaries. You don't even need to discuss with them. Yeah, nothing. You just come back into the sitting back in the saddle, back into your vision, and you keep firmly there. Like no, no, no. I create the game. No, 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 no. This is the discussion we're having. And sometimes the asuras need uh, different kind of uh, antidotes. Different, she pulls upon different weapons that she gets from all the gods. And when she enters the battlefield, we, one of the weapons she uses is that she multiplies herself into different goddesses. And this is again a key for us to show us that we have different capacities within us. There's not one size fit all. We are constantly dealing with new challenges and that we have different tools for different different uh, asuras coming at us from the inside or outside. And the more we awaken and become familiar with the different goddesses, the more uh, spect- the wider spectrum we have, uh, a more richer medicine basket toolkit that we can use. Durga, she mirrors to us an aspect within ourselves and bringing it all the way back to to this time we are in right now. She invites us and challenges us to come into integrity with what it is we truly love, what really matters to our hearts, and to not compromise it, no matter what other people say, to take leadership of it. There, there is a thread that is you. There is a assignment between you and the universe that no one can do for you. Nobody can take it from you. Nobody can give it to you. You, it's given to you. It's what's alive in your heart. It's a specific flavor of what makes your heart sing. Sometimes that is something very big and grandiose. Something that is something very simple. Our our job is to to stay loyal to what is alive within us and come into alignment with, with our assignment. It's not a form. It's deeper than form. Forms come and go. It's deeper than that. Ask yourself, what, what is it at the end of the day? What is it that matters the most? Yeah, we don't know how many days we have left here on earth. There are a thousand voices within you and also around you that will tell you what you should value. And like I said, nobody can take this from you, but you, and we often do, we can abandon that leadership. It's entirely up to each one of us if we're going to guard this or not. 
And if we don't, then that unique vibration of you will not be part of it will of course it doesn't go away so it, in one way it is always part of the great web is nothing outside of her but nevertheless it doesn't have it it's not centered and honored and given in the way that it it can be when we take full leadership like durga shows us She comes in laughing, and that shows us the, that one of the sources of her power is also her joy. And this is a confronting uh, key, you know, in the world today that is so full of suffering. How is my joy important? Yeah, maybe you live with with, with kids or animals, yeah, that are living in innocence and enjoyment of life. I think it's crucial to honor and center the joy and the sensuality of bodies right now. It's perhaps the most radical and revolutionary thing you can do. Because that is the medicine that will, will bring, not only carry us through, but it will also be what we will need on the other side of this, this hell realm. If we abandoned to honor joy, if we abandon our joy, these crazy war guys win. Yeah, they get to create the game. So how can I feel joy when there's so much suffering? It's, yeah, and, and so many of us, like I said, if you live with children or animals or, or just, you know, feeling joy in your art or your work or maybe you just fallen in love or maybe you just healed from a disease. Uh, maybe, you know, there is joy in your heart when you look at the change of the season and then comes to shame, comes to asura. Like, you know, you're not allowed to feel that, that's selfish. Durga, she shows us this, this in her being, in her presence, that no, your joy is your power. Don't give it away. Don't give it up. Don't leave your seat. And if you can feel joy, that's medicine also for those who, who cannot feel joy, that are in, in suffering. Durga, her heart is wide open. She has that mother divine mother quality with the warrior quality like this fierce love she doesn't turn her heart away from suffering but she doesn't join the game that is there she comes in with medicine of love of power of peace of clarity of strength because she can because she comes she has access to another energy than what is uh, in the mass. One of the goddesses that she manifests out of her is, uh, is uh, a very fierce aspect of Kalima. She comes out of her forehead, like Durga's forehead, comes this fierce goddess. And this goddess is, uh, is angry. She's a goddess of destruction. And she is perhaps the most fierce embodiment of love itself because she loves us so much that she can't tolerate all this bullshit. She will, she will do anything for us to wake up to the love that we are. So she comes in because one of the demons is impossible to defeat because when Durga cuts in him a, and a blood drop of blood hits the ground, another uh, demon appears. So, uh, you know, when she cuts, there's like thousand drops of blood and then thousand more Asuras appear. 
and it's just when out of her forehead this fierce aspect of Kali comes in and what she does is that she she has the long tongue and she she catches uh, the blood the, the drops of blood before they hit the ground and she eats them so here's a key for inner practice we see this again and again in goddess mythology that the goddess devours the unwanted coagulated demonic energies and once they are uh, digested by her uh, they return to divine consciousness and become part of her power and it shows us again that we can spend lifetimes pushing against parts of ourselves or parts of the world and we just uh, stay busy in trying to push away uh, our own life force energy. The energy that has coagulated into self-criticism and shame is the very same energy once transformed in this divine alchemy that is the goddess that will become your your love and peace. It's the same energy. So we don't want to get rid of anything. We want to transform energy. And this is one of the ways, you know, this this part of the myth when Kali licks the blood, is, is that is the part when we, in our inner practice, stop pushing away parts of ourselves and instead we turn towards the pain and we bring loving awareness to the pain. And in that meeting, energy starts to transform. It softens, the frozenness softens, and energy can flow again in its natural flow. It becomes part of that, that shame that we spent our lifetime, you know, trying to get rid of, of the fear. We try to get rid of the fear. Once we embrace it, it becomes part of our power and our life force energy because it's no longer frozen down there in the basement, in the shadows. There's many, many details of this myth. It's a very, very rich, rich story. But we're going to jump to the, <laughs> to the end because, uh, spoiler, <laughs> The goddess wins the war. <laughs> At the very end of the, this battle, the great demon king himself come, comes to uh, Durga and he's very arrogant and he says, Hey, look at all of these goddesses. Are you a coward? Don't you dare to meet me alone? And then uh, the goddess turns her divine head towards him and uh, there's this smile and there is this twinkle in the eyes and she says don't you see I'm the only one here and the whole battlefield dissolves all the forms dissolve the demon king dissolve. Even the form of Durgama dissolve. All back in to her. And we are one. complete by reading you some wise words from a wise elder, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes. Ours is not the task of fixing the entire world all at once, but of stretching out to mend the part of the world that is within 
our reach. Any small calm thing that one soul can do to help another soul, to assist some portion of this poor suffering world, will help immensely. It is not given to us to know which acts or by whom will cause the critical mass to tip toward an enduring good. What is needed for dramatic change is an accumulation of acts, adding, adding to, adding more, continuing. We know that it does not take everyone on earth to bring justice and peace, but only a small determined group who will not give up during the first, second or hundredth gale. One of the most calming and powerful actions you can do to intervene in a stormy world is to stand up and show your soul. Soul on deck shines like gold in dark times. The light of the soul throws sparks, can send up flares, builds signal fires, causes proper matters to catch fire. To display the lantern of soul in shadowy times like these, to be fierce and to show mercy towards others, both are acts of immense bravery and greatest necessity. Struggling souls catch light from other souls who are fully lit and willing to show it. If you would help to calm the tumult, this is one of the strongest things you can do. There will always be time when you feel discouraged. I too have felt despair many times in my life. But I, don't, I do not keep a chair for it. I will not entertain it. It's not allowed to eat from my plate. The reason is this. In my uttermost bones I know something, as, as do you. It is that there can be no despair when you remember why you come to earth. Who you serve and who sent you here. The good words we say and the good deeds we do are not ours. They are the words and deeds of the one who brought us here. In that spirit, I hope you will write this on your wall. When a great ship is in harbour and moored, it is safe. There can be no doubt. But that is not what great ships are built for. Thank you for listening to Living Goddess. If you like what you heard, please share this podcast with a friend and follow, rate, and review at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen in.